Welcome back to season six of the Practice Purchase Podcast, where we talk all things dental transitions from the buyer perspective. In this season, of course, we're talking about successfully transitioning into ownership, and I'm doing my second uh, part of the interview with Mike Jorgensen with Car Healthcare Realty. Mike is an expert in uh, buying the, the physical building when you're buying a dental practice and leasing that building. And in this episode, we're going to talk about leasing. And before I get into the episode, I'm going to give you about uh, 60 to 90 seconds on my thoughts on lease versus buy, because a lot of people assume you can only be financially successful in dental practice ownership if you own the space. That renting your space is uh, the equivalent of just throwing money down a hole that you'll never get back. Uh, and I'm here to tell you that's wrong. Here's why. You can absolutely rent your space, have a financially successful career, and uh, do as well as most um, of my clients uh, when I was doing taxes and financial planning. Um, and, and what was interesting to me is I would look at two data points. I would look at the dentist selling their practice after a 25, 30, 35-year career and look at the pile of money they had to, uh, to uh, retire with. And what was interesting to me was um, actually, <laughs> fascinatingly, uh, the dentists who rented actually had a little bit more. I don't know if that was statistically significant or not. I looked at uh, a few hundred data points, uh, but um, I started digging into why in the world? Like, that's crazy. I thought that you had to, you know, I thought real estate was a great investment. I started digging into why. And uh, simultaneously, I was doing a lot of research on um, uh, some practice purchases for some buyers. And we were doing rent versus buy analyses of the physical space. This is when a buyer, you know, wants to buy the dental practice and the seller is like, well, hey, I'll sell you the, the building if you want to, or you can just rent it for me. And uh, sometimes the sellers say, hey, you can buy my practice, but I'm keeping the real estate for at least, you know, one, five, 10 years, at which point maybe you can buy it from me in the future. And these buyers were asking me, hey, how does this line up for me financially? Is this, you know, am I going to be screwed if I'm renting versus if I buy? And here was the interesting truth, that when we lined up the cost of buying the real estate, the all-in cost, okay, and then we compared that with the all-in cost of leasing, the numbers actually came out to very, very close, very close. Uh, so a uh, couple conclusions that I drew from this, uh, that when you take the all-in cost of ownership of a, of a building uh, versus leasing, that it actually isn't that different. Now, someone isn't going to uh, rent to a space if they're not making a profit. So intuitively, you know that, that in theory, you should come out at least a little bit ahead if you own the space. Um, now, I tend to be a fan of owning the real estate if possible, but it's not for a financial reason. There are some financial reasons. I'll give you a couple financial reasons. That I already gave you the first one. The first is, if someone is renting you the space, they're making a profit. So... Why not keep the profits for yourself? Okay, that's financial reason number one. Financial reason number two is owning a building and having an associated loan with that ownership is a forced savings mechanism. Okay, <laughs> psychology dictates, and you dentists are just as bad as anybody else, by the way. Everybody else is in this boat. Uh, you guys just have a bigger pile of money than the average American. But if the money is in your checking account, and this is a, a truism, I can kind of hear Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman or something in my head. Um, if the money is in your checking account, it will get spent, right? So if the money can't be in your checking account because you got to pay a loan, then bingo, you've already, you, you've 
automatically created a savings mechanism for yourself by making a loan payment on a building that eventually you'll sell. So that's those are two financially solid reasons to own the real estate. So why do I say that it's not a financial decision to own the real estate? Because that really the what you I think you're buying when you buy the real estate is control. You're buying control over the space. No one can kick you out. Nobody can tell you what colors to paint the wall or not paint them. On the flip side, however, renting, leasing the space can be the right move for a lot of dentists, right? A lot of dentists just want to be dentists and they'll put up with the management of the staff and the fact that they got to, to, um, you know, to advertise and get patients in the, in the seats. And, and all of that is just a means to an end for them to do what they love, which is the clinical work. Now you throw on top of that, the AC going out and the roof leaking and the foundation now has this crack in it and all these things. And those dentists love the opportunity to just call the landlord and say, hey, guess what? You now have a problem. Your AC is broken. Your roof is leaking. Your foundation has a crack in it. Get it fixed. Let me know when it's done. <laughs> so the point is, there is no right way to do it. You may have a preference. That's great. But um, if you've never heard someone defend leasing, there you go. There is a, a defense for leasing. And uh, Mike Jorgensen with Car Healthcare Realty is going to get into some of the details now. All right, I'm talking with Mike Jorgensen, Car Healthcare Realty. We're going to talk about leases now. Mike, uh, we got my prototypical buyer. He's looking at a space, uh, a dental practice he's really excited about. It produces what he wants. The seller and he um, think a lot alike in terms of clinical uh, and philosophical fit. It's got the number of operatories they want. Uh, the, the patient base is amazing. And they grew up you know, 10 blocks down the road, so it's their hometown. They're excited to move back. And... The, this buyer is super excited about the dental practice. And then the owner of that practice says, oh, by the way, Mr. Miss Buyer, Dr. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Dr. Buyer, um, you know, I, I rent my space and the landlord isn't interested in selling. So if you buy my dental practice, you also are going to rent the space. Now, in our last conversation, we talked about how this makes a lot of buyers heads explode. Um, you know, because they think they're, if they're leasing, they're throwing money down a pit. We talked about, about about why that's not necessarily true. Um, let's just talk about the steps of leasing first. And as we get into that, um, at the end of our conversation about buying, you talked about how the buyer isn't necessarily paying for these services. So as we get into the steps, can you, let me give my attempt uh, to make sense of that. So again, if um, there's dual representation in the broker world, um, you know, there's uh, bankers who are incented on loan amount, right? So which makes theoretically makes a banker more likely to recommend a high price. Uh, there's insurance agents that are making big commissions if you buy big, you know, disability policies and life insurance and etc. So, you know, I, I a lot of dentists get wary when you know Mike at Car Healthcare Realty says, "Hey, you don't have to pay us, but we will work for you." Um, it sounds like what you're telling me is that's just kind of a feature of the real estate industry. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How does that work and why why should a buyer say, oh yeah, c please come be my advocate. I can't wait to work with Carr, but I, I also don't expect, expect to see a bill from them. That's a great question. And I, I think the main reason for it is because there was a, a standard set years ago. Uh, back, I don't know, probably the 80s and 90s, buyer representation wasn't very common, but today it is very, very common. 
what you're doing right now in the dental in the dental market is not hasn't been done uh, at least on a broad scale like you're doing it and so there's not an expectation that that is to be the case whereas commercial real estate ex- exists outside of dental and uh, commercial commercial owners are paying fees on these transactions all the time all day every day and little caveat not not a caveat but a little side to that these guys might own 25 properties and do hundreds of transactions in their career, they're still willing to pay for their representation to make sure that they're getting a good deal. And we see a lot of doctors coming in saying, Hey, I don't need that. I can, I can save that money. Um, and so I don't, I don't necessarily need to have representation when in reality they would never pay for it. It would be split with the other person's agent. Okay. And so the so reason like that it's house, different, like buying a yes, house, I know exactly the real like estate agent said, you know, 6% is the fee. And a, and a lot of yep. times the two agents would split it three and three or they they may yep. negotiate a side deal amongst themselves sometimes. Same yep. deal then? Is that kind of what I hear you exactly saying? Exactly the same deal. Okay. But the 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 point that you make with your doctors about yeah. if you're not paying them, are you know, are they really representing you is yeah. a great point. The only caveat to that would be real estate in general, mm-hmm. but commercial real estate's exactly the same. The seller or the landlord should be paying those fees. Yeah. So I'd argue I bought my house, you know, my brother in law represented me and I, I didn't necessarily write him a check as the buyer of my house, but I paid him because the price of my house was six percent theoretically was six percent higher than it would have been. And he got 3% and the, the seller's agent got 3%. Same deal with uh, a commercial property. Okay. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so again, um, I call you. I say, oh my gosh, Mike, I'm devastated. I can't buy the real estate. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little tongue in cheek right now. But, um, you know, <laughs> help me understand the steps to get into the lease space. I've come to grips. I'm ready to lease. Um how does this work? Who do I talk to? And by the way, for the sake of our conversation, let's assume a third-party landlord, and maybe talk to when it's the the seller dentist is the landlord versus you know some big company or just another third party. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's assume it's a third party. So I've agreed on a price for the dental practice. The seller said, "Hey, you got to work with the landlord. You got to get a lease in place." Um, how does this work? What are, what happens? That's a great question. And I'll do a very, very quick sidebar to address that other part because it really does. There there are many situations where the owner owns the real estate and maybe wants to retain it. They don't want to sell it. Yeah. And so they want to lease it to you or they are um, they potentially uh, you don't necessarily want to own it. And so you're going to have to come up with the lease. In those situations, you want to make sure that you have a good understanding of market as well, because many times what's going to happen since they own the real estate is there is a justification of some price because they've been paying it for however long they've been there. And in many situations, you're trying to pay as much as you can in rent because that's a line item deduction. And so we see many times where they say, hey, rent is $27 a foot. And the bank might even say, hey, you're good to go here because I've been paying it. So it cash flows well. But market is actually 18. And so that's a very important factor. Even if you're leasing with the owner uh, as your landlord, you you want to make sure the owner of the practice as your landlord, you want to make sure that you are uh, understanding market in that instance. Let, let me just say those that again in my words, because that's a really important point. Uh, you tell me if I've got this right. Let's say the, land, the, the seller owns the building and they don't want to sell. In other words, they're going to make, they're going to be your landlord and you're going to rent from the seller. The seller has set their own rent amount. In other words, they have been paying rent to themselves 
at a number that was more or less made up. I'm sure the accountant came up with some reasonable range, but for tax purposes, the seller said, well, shoot, you know, I could pay myself 5000 a month in rent or I could pay myself 10000 a month in rent. If I choose the bigger number, I may have a lower tax bill. Therefore, I'm going to pick the bigger number. Okay. And then what I hear you saying, Mike, is, hey, just because the seller was paying themselves 10000 a month in rent doesn't mean you as the buyer necessarily should do the same. You need to go find out what fair market value for rent is in that area. And that's maybe step one, if the seller is the, is the landlord. That's exactly right. Got it. Which actually okay. is a great segue into uh, when there's a third-party landlord. Yeah. The problem with having a third-party landlord in in the grand scheme of things of what we normally do at CAR, we are looking for leverage. We have a very specific game plan to get our doctors the best possible deal. And that all comes from this idea of if you don't like or if you don't give us a good deal, we're just going to go somewhere else. In the instance of a practice acquisition, you don't have that option. And so you have to come up with some sort of leverage, again, when there's a third-party landlord, to ensure that they are willing to give you a good deal. Because if you think about it from the landlord's perspective, you've got this the doctor who's selling the practice who might be worth a couple million dollars. And then you've got this buyer who actually is probably has a negative net worth at this point because they just graduated a couple years ago. That's a big disparity. And the one of the most important things a landlord looks at is who is the tenant. And so I've actually seen it many times where a, a landlord doesn't understand the value of a dental practice and the value of the dentist coming in, even though they might have a negative net worth, why they shouldn't uh, be looked at as more of a risk. They'll actually, I've even heard of it being doubled before where they double the rent, which puts the practice in a terrible spot. Again, it might still cash flow. The bank might be okay with it, but that doesn't mean it's a good deal. And so, uh, in that instance, you've got to make sure that you still have an ability to have leverage. And one of the ways that we achieve that is by coming up with a potential situation of what it would look like if our we have a buyer right now for this practice. If this practice doesn't sell to our buyer, there's a very good chance that the seller of the practice is going to just sell the charts to somebody down the street. Or uh, maybe there's another group that could buy it and just move move those patients in uh, next door. And so what that does is it creates a loss aversion with the landlord to make sure they don't want to lose that tenant. That income is important to them. And so you always have to find some sort of leverage to ensure that you're able to get a good deal because in many situations, the landlord is over or the, the, the seller of the practice has been overpaying and it might not even, they might've gotten a good deal when it started, but uh, we saw one back in 2017, I believe where they signed a lease in 2008, right at the very tip top of the market. And they've been paying 3% escalations for the last 10 years. And so at, at the end of the day, and in 2018, when that lease was up, they were 25% over market and they were at 30 bucks a foot. The bank actually said, yeah, you're good to go. They've been paying that. Wow. Just, just signed that lease renewal. A CPA actually came in and said, hey, I don't know if this is good. Let's get Mike involved. And we went and looked. They were marketing the space next door for $20 a square foot. And so we were able to come in, do exactly what I just told you about. We have to make them realize that it's not a foregone conclusion that somebody's going to sign this lease. We were able to get it down uh, to that $20 rate. And the doctor was $160,000 savings over a five-year term, which is a net savings to the doctor. You don't have to produce another dollar to save that amount of money. Yeah. And it was such a dramatic deal where the selling doctor called me and said, hey, am I able to sue this guy for giving me a bad deal? 
And the answer is no. You signed that deal. And honestly, in 2008, that was probably not a bad deal. But the market tanked. And then it corrected. We were right around where it was in 2008 at that point, maybe just above. But because of the escalations, they were that far over market. And so the the main thing with a, a third-party landlord is you need to have a reason for them to work with you. And that's usually not you, an ability to say, we're just going to move somewhere else because the bank won't allow it. So that's the, the most important thing is that leverage. Third-party landlord has a lease and there's you know four, six, eight years left on the lease with the, the seller. I've seen a lot of deals die because the landlord just says, eh, you know, you have no leverage. That's what they tell the yep. seller. Uh, you yep. know, if you don't sell to this buyer and this buyer doesn't take our terms, well, tough. We've got a signed lease with you for the next eight years and we plan to keep collecting on that. Um, so in, in those cases, is there anything else additional you can do to find leverage? Um, not that that's a really tough situation because they're, they have a lease signed and in place. And usually the selling doctor, even if they wanted to sublease it to you, sometimes there's uh, caveats within the lease that wouldn't allow it potentially. And the landlord would likely allow you to do that, to, to just sublease it, which is not a great case though, for the selling doctor, because they don't have any control over the practice anymore and they're banking on you paying rent. And so Mm. it can create a, a tough situation. Uh, and those, in those situations, you may, you know, just if the landlord would allow them to assign it, which it sounds like you're saying they may be open to, you just can't get a better deal. If they would allow you to assign it, that's going to a lot of times be what happens in that scenario. But again, in those scenarios, the landlord, they may not be willing to do that deal for this new buyer. If that landlord doesn't understand that the new buyer actually is still a great tenant of theirs, even though they have a negative net worth. So as soon as you hear a third party landlord saying, Hey, give me a personal financial statement, you need somebody who understands dental and real estate yeah. on your team to help the landlord understand why this is not as risky of a proposition. Okay. So there may not be a transaction there or an ability to get a better deal, but I would still be happy to get on the phone and talk to you and the landlord about why you are not a bad risk. Uh, even though that doctor has a $2 million more in net value than you do, right. uh, why they should still be willing to do the deal without jacking up the rate. Okay. And then if the landlord doesn't understand the value of a young dentist and they then they're willing to tell a buyer, you know, take it or leave it and maybe maybe uh as good as the practice looks, maybe that's a a practice you shouldn't buy because you're going to be in bed with or sorry, in business with a landlord that you know, you're going to struggle with for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Okay, 100%. That makes sense. You've got it. You have to look at the full picture. Yeah. And especially when there's a third party landlord with no negotiation potential, you need to make sure that not only is the practice in a good spot, but the real estate is in a spot as well. Because the, if the landlord's going to jack up the rate, that might kill the deal in general with the bank and they can't mm-hmm. do it. Um, so that's that definitely sense. an important factor. Do you, um, when is the right time to contact the third party landlord? That's a great question. Here's what I tell buyers. You tell me if I've got this right. I tell them, the moment you have ink dry on a letter of intent to buy the practice, the you know maybe hiring an attorney is step one. Uh, maybe calling the bank is step two, but very close step three. In fact, if you can do them all on the same day, I would do all three. I would get in touch with this third-party landlord and figure out whatever their process is to submit your application, submit a personal financial statement, whatever it is, because... Um, uh, it just time, time more than anything yep. seems like a, a limiting factor here. What uh, would you add, subtract? You know, what would you change about my answer? 
Uh, the only thing that I would change is make sure you've got a game plan for what mm. you're going to say to them. Because again, their tendency is going to be to lean on the value of the tenant they currently have, which is the person they gave the deal to, uh, as opposed to working with you as somebody who doesn't have as much value. So you need to have a very solid game plan of what you're going to say to them. And in that, uh, I'll give a shameless plug for the fact that you should have a real estate agent who can help you come up with that game plan. So okay. knowing what you're going to say is even more important than as uh, reaching out to them quickly, I would say. And, and what if the seller doesn't give you the third-party landlord information? They say, you know, because a lot of them are like, well, I, I want to make sure you can get financing. I want to make sure we have signed legal documents before you even talk to my landlord. What would you tell the seller in that case or the broker who's having that conversation? Sure. Um, I would say, and this this actually goes beyond this conversation, sure. yep. you have a lot more leverage right now in this situation than you ever will. And so one of the reasons I love what you do so much is because there's such a there are so many parties involved in these transactions with the broker, with an attorney that the the seller has, with a, a CPA, with the equipment person, justifying the price of why this makes sense. And the buyer comes in who is taking all of the risk. And oftentimes has nobody. I've had many doctors say, Mike, I felt like you were the only one who was on my side in that transaction. And so the it's important to make sure you don't get pushed into a situation where you feel like I need to do this. I have to do exactly what they say. Otherwise, I might miss out on this. If you're being rushed into something, it's not a good idea. And so in that situation, what I would say is, listen, I'm the one who's looking to buy this practice. I need to make sure that I have all my due diligence. If they're not going to work with me, on the real estate, then I don't know that I can offer you the same price on the practice because they're synonymous right now. I need to make sure that both work for me. And the bank's going to ask that question too. So financing is contingent upon me having that conversation. And I'll say that that's most important when you're looking to get a purchase option on the real estate. Because think about it, when you're buying the, the practice, you purchase it, you've got that lease in place. If you don't have a very clear understanding of what the purchase looks like, now you already own the real estate. What are you going to say at that point if you want to buy it? You are at their mercy. And I've seen it before where a doctor didn't have representation. They agreed on a price of $500,000. Two years later, the seller gets an appraisal and says, no, it's worth six fifty. And now they have no leverage and no ability. Whereas if they had done it before, they could say, hey, I'm going to walk away then. I'm not going to buy this practice. If you're going to do that on the real estate, I need to know what that looks like. Now is the best time for you to have all of these conversations because you have no leverage once you purchase that practice with whether leasing or owning that real estate. That sounds like a plug for a good dental specific attorney that helps you with your purchase because those are the types of conversations that a good attorney has is, oh, exactly right. you can't buy the, the real estate for two years, then let's make sure we have a clause in there that talks about how we're going to appraise the value of the real estate in two years. And it's the attorney exactly. that's having that discussion. Okay. Got it. Um, okay. So we're talking to the third party landlord as soon as possible. Um, then, all right. So I, I get them on the phone. I have you coach me through that first conversation, or maybe you're having the first conversation with the landlord. Um, any other steps uh, before I, you know, get a lease and sign it. I, I imagine at some point I'm going to see a lease and I'm going to have to try to negotiate something. Anything else that's happening in there just in terms of the steps? Yep. So the in most of our situations with other types of transactions, we know what fair market is because we're taking it to market. 
that even in a lease renewal scenario, we're going to show doctors other options and they know what market is. That's the most common question we get is what is fair market? Well, it depends. Uh, fair market is different for a financial planner than it is for you because you have more value. No offense to all the financial planners listening, but it depends on the use. It depends on the term. It depends on the area. It depends on so many different things, but we know what fair market is because we look in these situations. Again, you don't have an ability to go find other options. And so having somebody who understands the dental world and what dental deals look like in that market is important. So coming up all of that to say, the next step would be to know what, what is a fair price on this real estate, not only the rate, that's the most common thing doctors yeah. look at, and they yeah. miss out on a world of other opportunities. Uh, the the tenant improvement allowance, the free rent, many different steps in there that you want to make sure the escalations, we hit on that with the 3%. Yep. Right now, actually, a lot of landlords are trying to hit on CPI, which oh, means right. your, yeah. your rent goes up as does inflation. So that means last year you would have had an 8% escalation. That is not a good place to be. Yep. So you want to make sure you understand all of the ins and outs. What needs to happen to the, the real estate? Is it in bad shape and we need some tenant improvements? If so, we're probably not going to push as hard on rate as we are to get some tenant improvement allowance. So knowing what needs to happen and what type of a deal we're looking for, how to structure it would be the next step uh, before engaging the conversation of or the negotiation itself. Last two minutes, Mike, let me run through what I think I just heard you say in terms of the negotiating points. I'll do a quick definition and then you correct me or add anything I miss. Okay. Yep. Rate, obviously. How much per month am I paying in rent? You mentioned, Real quick. mentioned oh yeah. With the rate, you want to make sure you understand is that a base rent? Are there other costs uh, on top? Okay. Like yep. the common area maintenance, taxes, and insurance. There are yep. three different types of leases. One has none of those involved and you pay those on top. Another has all of them, and then you only pay if those in if those increase. So Got understanding it. the full picture, not just the base rent, but are there any excess costs? Good. So total, total monthly payment, all inclusive of everything. Okay. Yep. You mentioned escalation. That is how much my rent is going to increase every year. And I see, you know, most commonly in the past, it's been, oh, it goes up 2% every year, 3% every year, some number. Uh, but what I hear you saying is with inflation going crazy, uh, you know, some landlords are saying we want it to be inflation, like the bigger of inflation or 3% or some number. Okay. Yep. yep. Um, I heard you talk about um, tenant improvements. And, and I've always yep. thought of that as cash, the landlord has to put up to fix or improve something in the property. They have, you know, $10,000, dollars $50,000 to buy new carpets, new roof, new AC, something that, you know, makes the space more upgraded. Correct. Okay, good. Uh, tenant improvements, um, free rent. So yep. you, I, can, I can actually get free rent as a new buyer. Yep. And that's one thing, again, we always focus on the rate, but the rate is the most important number to that landlord because that the value of the real estate is based off of the net operating income. And so they're actually willing to give more in some of these other areas than they are in rate. So you might only be able to get 50 cents reduction in rate where you could get the equivalent of $2 worth of free rent or tenant improvements because the landlord that's a sunk cost to them at that point. And then they retain the value if they were to sell at some point. This is the drug dealer business model. Like, get you, you know, give you your first couple of hits. And, and the way they would phrase it is, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's get you into the practice, get your feet underneath you as a business owner, yes. and and then yep. we'll start charging you rent in month three, month six, somewhere in there. Okay, 
Exactly. Got it. Uh, um, some of those excess costs as well with the uh, air conditioning. You yeah. mentioned that earlier. Many times now tenants are responsible for that. So understanding what those numbers are, what you should be paying for, and what uh, what is covered by the landlord is also important. Uh, an exclusive. I've seen okay. it before where if you're buying into a, a strip center, mm-hmm. uh, having that exclusive can be very important. And if it's not already in there, you need to make sure that it, it gets which, in there. Which means I'm the only dentist in the strip mall. Is that what that means? Correct. Got it. Yep. Okay. And then understanding too, and this would be a, a, also where an attorney would help you. What is the mech or what is the, what am I signing? Am I signing a new lease, which we would suggest throw that old lease out the window and start afresh? I would say the majority of the time, they're actually just signing an assignment. And in that instance, you want to make sure that your uh, attorney is looking through that master lease or that uh, the lease that was previously signed that you are agreeing to the terms of. Uh, that That's another important factor when you're looking at leasing a space from a third-party landlord. Okay, perfect. Anything else that should... Well, um, what about assignability? Assignability uh, when you're buying the practice is not as important. Assignability okay. is very important. You define that real for quick the seller. Help yep. what that means is. that they can they can assign that lease to somebody else. Meaning you're buying it, that seller can assign it and be waived of all liability okay. within that yep. lease. Or there's if usually I sign some it, very and strict. Then I want to sell my practice. Yep. Then I, yep. you know, whoever my buyer is, I can just you know assign the lease to them. Okay, and That's I catch correct. up. And if said there's important language. It, there is, but you you want to make sure because having an assignment doesn't mean that they usually it says you're allowed to assign it if we approve it. That's not really an assignment. You need to have a mechanism for that assignment. But what I would say is that's a big point for the landlord, uh, but it's probably not as big of a point for you as a buyer, especially if you're younger. If you're looking to sell in the next five or 10 years, assignability is important. If you're not, I would save that equity within the transaction to get on some other points like free rent yeah. or okay. uh, tenant improvement allowance. I think it makes sense. Um, anything else that's important on the negotiation uh, list? Of we always want to make up? sure that you have, you always want to make sure that you have an option to renew at least one five-year term or whatever it looks like. Because if you come up to the end of that lease and you don't have an option, they could kick you out of that space. There's one instance in North Alabama where we saw a doctor uh, buy a practice, didn't have an ability to extend that lease. And the landlord actually had a kid in dental school down the street. And so they were going to plug him in. What is that doctor supposed to do? That's a really rough situation. So assignability, I'm sorry, having an ability to renew is also very important. Perfect. Okay. Mike, um, anything else related to real estate that comes up I haven't asked about? Any um, comment? As you guys are talking amongst yourself at CAR, you guys are at a you know national conference or something with all the reps around, what, what are some of the hot topics in terms of uh, our clients, buyer, first-time buyers of practices that you guys are seeing maybe common mistakes or just issues? I would say there, there are probably several more. I could go on for a while, but uh, to respect everybody's time, the one that I'll hit on is probably the demographics. Mm. I know it's weird to think about because you're buying a practice, but if you're buying a practice in an area that's declining at 4% per year and you're trying to grow your practice at 3% a year, that's a 7% delta now. You have to essentially grow it at a higher rate because people are leaving. So how are you going to overcome those demographics? It's still important to understand the demographics of an area. And there are several companies out there that can help you uh, in seeing if that that area makes sense to buy a practice. Got it. I love it. And that would be a company like Dentographics, Dr. Demographics. Yep. They're going to be able to tell me with um, census data or something, kind of what's going on in my area. Do you guys actually exactly. provide that at Car Healthcare? Can I, if I'm engaging you, would you actually give me demographics? 
we we can do some demographics. Yeah. We would always suggest though that yeah. you uh, on the dental side, there are just so many great companies right. out there, like we the do two you mentioned a, and several others. We do an abbreviated version for all our clients as well, uh, with the full service. Of course, you can pay for that elsewhere. Okay, good. Mike, um, can't thank you enough. Um, I will make sure people know how to get in touch with you uh, in the show notes. Uh, but uh, as we're wrapping up, is there uh, contact information like email, phone that you want? Uh, you know, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or someone? at car. Sure. Uh, I would say the best way is to go to our website. It's pretty easy. It's car, that's C-A-R-R dot U-S. And you can find an agent on there and reach out to the one directly. If you're calling me from San Francisco, I'm very hamstrung as to what to tell you because I don't understand as well as our person does there. So car.us is the best way to reach the agent near you. Perfect. And you've got agents all over the country. We've worked with several of them and uh, always had good experiences. I don't think I've had any buyer that I've ever worked with say, or anything negative or complain about car. So, and this is over, gosh, now, you know, eight, 10 years or whatever it's been. So anyway, good, good I for you guys. I think it has something to do with it, us being uh, only representing them much like yourself. I've heard the same thing. Yeah. Not heard anything bad. It's hard to say though, when you don't, uh, there's nothing bad to say when uh, you're not being represented uh, or dual representation, which is so common in both, both real estate and acquisitions. Thanks, Mike. Enjoy the rest of your day. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. 